Welcome to the Creation Today Show. I'm your host, Eric Hoven. Today's conversation is going to truly help many of you who've been um, spiritually, maybe even psychologically tormented by a particular interpretation of Scripture. And I, I really believe that this conversation will help you experience the true meaning and the true purpose for your life. If you're new to the Creation Today show, we are on a mission to disciple the world. We want to turn stumbling blocks that keep people from seeing Jesus Christ as the Redeemer of mankind into stepping stones on their journey to know the truth. My question for today, once you're saved, are you always saved? Now, if you're familiar with the Christian lingo, then you'll know what saved means. If you aren't familiar, it, it means exactly what it says. You know, we believe that everyone in the world needs to be saved, to be rescued from their sinful state. The Bible teaches that everything was created by God, the Creator. Humanity was created different from the rest of creation. We were the ones that were created in the image of God, and we were created with the ability to have a choice. See, the most glory you can get out of something or someone is when you let it choose to love you, choose to spend time with you. So God created a perfect world and gave humanity the choice of obedience or disobedience. And our ancestors, as it says at the very beginning, our ancestors, Adam and Eve, uh, chose disobedience. And because of their disobedience, every human born has been born with a sin problem. We all need to be saved, to be rescued from our state of sinfulness. Now, the theological question comes in, if you get saved, uh, and that's when you see your sinfulness as God sees it, you, you repent, you trust in the work of Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, are you always saved? Is it possible to, to rebel or to lose your salvation or to even reject what you once accepted. That's the question we need to talk about today. This has been debated for centuries by incredibly bright-minded individuals, uh, but just because it's been debated by smart people doesn't mean we cannot know the truth today. That's what I want to talk about with my guest, Pastor Chad Hovind. Chad, how you doing, bud? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's one of my favorite subjects. Uh, this is this this is enlightening. I listened to a message series that you did last year, all the way through the book of Hebrews, and it was the whole series. I, I, I'm trying to remember how many weeks. I mean, it was a three month series. Yeah, so powerful, so powerful. And in that, you hit on this subject of once saved, always saved, and tackled it in a way that I've never heard mm. talked about before. Uh, so I, I, you're you're ready to you're ready to just kind of throw out there your kind of interpretation of of Hebrews yeah, chapter reason, 6. Without a doubt, the reason I can't Hebrews 6 is, to me, if it was just some uh, you know, arbitrary doctrine, you know, there's plenty of smart Christians who come to different conclusions, and I have a lot of humility to know that there's people smarter than me who come to different conclusions. And if it was just some kind of obscure uh, teaching or doctrine in the background, it'd be one thing, but to really it's the heart of the gospel. And the gospel is, uh, when you come to know Jesus, uh, can you lose that? 
Because if you're always struggling with the insecurity of, do I even have the helmet of salvation on? You're never going to move on to the shield or the breastplate of righteousness. So for me, it's an issue of, do I know for sure? Take the word saved off. Use a different metaphor the Bible says. God adopts me into his family. Mm. Can he unadopt you? And if you, uh, I, I have a son who's adopted. Imagine the insecurity if you knew that uh, your dad could unadopt you sometime. And all of a sudden, the, the riches and the treasures you have, you know, you might have them, maybe have them, possibly have them. Well, then if you're back in that kind of realm of, I might get to heaven, I might know God, I might be in his family, then it's, well, how do I know whether or not I might lose it? Well, whether or not I'm a good person. Well, if that's true, you're right back into what happens before you come to know the good news of the gospel, which is that it was about good works back then. Am I good enough for heaven? Can I get in? So for me, the heart of knowing that you are you know, secure in grace it's the motivation to love God. It's the motivation to grow. It's not a license to do the wrong thing. It's actually a confidence that says, man, because I'm secure, because the Holy Spirit lives in me, because my dad adopted me, because I've been saved from what I've done wrong, my goodness, how can I love God more? But I think it brings up a lot of legitimate questions and a lot of practical questions. What about my son who once prayed a prayer and he's now living a totally different life? What about my sister? What about that pastor? So as a pastor, you know, I'm always dealing with kind of real life issues while at the same time executing difficult texts. So in our Hebrew series, we came kind of face to face with the most difficult uh, passage on eternal security, which is Hebrews 6, which seems to say, hey, you could lose it. In fact, when you lose it, you can't ever get it back. And as I exegeted that text going all the way back to my grad school days and my undergrad days, I think it says the opposite. I think it's one of my favorite verses to teach you, you are secure in Christ. I'm telling you, for those of you joining me on Facebook or YouTube uh, or listening to this on podcast or watching on the television show, this is going to be an incredibly encouraging conversation because it's going to get to the very heart of what God has done for mankind. By the way, we do want to thank you guys for, for joining us. Uh, we, we actually have um, a community that has these conversations week after week. And we're just trying to be all that God has called us to be. And this conversation will certainly help you do it. So so our partners out there, you guys are going to love this. Uh, if you're not a partner of Creation Today and you want to join this community, just go to creationtoday.org and you can partner with us. The passage that is, in, can I just read Hebrews 6, 4 and 5? Sure. 4 to okay. 6 the, probably. Yeah, those are the big ones. Four yeah, all, all, all three of those verses. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh. I, you know, it's, can this debate ever be over? <laughs> I mean, uh, we're going to solve this before God comes back. I believe, I believe we actually can. And I believe that this conversation is actually going to help you guys do that. Chad, this is really confusing to a lot of people. Sure. There's people watching that have, that have literally psychologically been, been hurt because of a misunderstanding of this passage. Let's jump sure. in and figure out what it's really saying. Big words here, tough words for it is impossible. Well, that's a big, wow. What it, whatever's happening is impossible for those who are once enlightened. Okay, is that a real Christian or a fake Christian? Does it mean they've kind of seen the light but not fully seen the light? And if tasted, does that mean they just got a little dabble of it and they didn't swallow it? So they're not a real Christian, or is it somebody who's really tasted? Once you become a partaker of the Holy Spirit, okay, did that mean I just took a little piece, partake it of it? So again, there's a question: Are these real Christians? 
Um, are they uh, fake Christians? And then if they're real Christians, it's impossible for real Christians, once you've tasted and got the Holy Spirit, if you fall away, what does it mean to fall away? Is there a list of big sins or small sins? And did I do it? And what if I do it? And so there's a lot of insecurity that breeds in you. But if it's a real Christian and if you fall away, it's impossible to renew them again to repent. So not only do you lose your salvation, apparently, if it was a real Christian, you can't get it back. You can't get it exactly. Yeah. And the reason you can't get it back is he says in the last verse, because you'd have to crucify Jesus all over again and you'd put him to open shame. So therein lies, you can just feel the tension in there. Like, I don't know what this means, but this is this is a tough passage, right? Yeah, so I'm the, curious what you guys are watching. I'm curious what you guys think. Put some comments in and uh, don't be afraid of being wrong. I'm wrong all the time on things. Put your comments in and tell me what you're thinking. What do you think this actually means? What is this referring to? And I say historically, as you know, different Christians of different traditions have tried to kind of add this verse, it really comes down to three major views. So I got the passage okay. right here. You know, view number one is it couldn't really happen. So that's kind of the hypothetical view where Paul, uh, the writer, I don't know if it's Paul, but the writer of Hebrews is saying, if it could happen, which we know it can't, then it would be impossible to renew you to repentance. So that's one view, the hypothetical view. Yeah. It's, it couldn't really happen. It's a hypothetical situation that he's giving. Number two. You can't lose it. But if you could lose it, you could never get it back. Right. And so that's called the hypothetical view. And many people have held that view over time. The second view is these aren't really Christians. And I alluded to that already. They've tasted of the word of God. They've been a partaker of the word of God, um, but they haven't fully embraced the word of God. So if fake Christians uh, fall away because they've already kind of tried a little bit of Christianity, they've almost in, in inoculated themselves against real Christianity. So they never come back. But I, so, but practically, you know, we all know, uh, you know, people who grew up in church, uh, fell away for a while, then came back. Does, does that mean the Bible's wrong? Because they did come back or so, but there's a question. What is the text saying about whether these are real Christians or fake Christians? And then really is the third view, which would be, hey, um, these are real Christians. They do fall away. And when you do, you can't come back. Well, that's doesn't sound good either. Right. So and I, I've wrestled with that going, okay, I guess I'm going to go with number two is what I've historically said myself and gone, yeah. They must not really be Christians because they fall away. And then if if they claim, like I, I, the people that I've met that have said, I used to be a Christian and now they're staunch atheists. And it's like, they're not coming back. And it seems like, oh, yep, scripture's right. It's impossible for them to come back because they've, they've tasted. And Yeah, so there's a fourth view. So I take a fourth view that uh, I think um, shows that this view may be saying the opposite of what it initially looks at. And so whenever you're studying a passage, there's certain rules of hermeneutics uh, which is a, basically a fancy word for Bible study. Yeah, these two verses sit inside of a larger chapter in a larger book. What is the book about? What is the book trying to propel? And then what do those words mean, like tasted and enlightened and partaker of? And so what you want to say is, I can think whatever I want, but did that writer, same writer in the same book, use those words at other times? So let's just go back mm -hmm. to verse six for a second, or verse four, rather. So it says, for it is impossible for those who have been once enlightened. Well, if you uh, jump forward to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 and 32, he uses the word enlightened again there. So we say, okay, well, whatever he meant in, in chapter 10 with that word, same author, same book, I can kind of read that back to bring clarity into this part. So he says, for example, it's the word fotizo. He says, let us hold fast. And notice he says us. In other words, he's including himself and the readers. As I'm a Christian, the writer, obviously a free Hebrews, 
I'm writing to Christians. He says, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith. Again, it's inclusive our, but recall the former days in which you, after you were illuminated or enlightened, it's the same word. So the word translate illuminated here in, I'm reading New King James, is fatizo, same word used in Hebrews 6, 4, um, is translated enlightened. So he's clearly using that word to say, hey, guys, we once weren't enlightened, weren't Christians, we now are, and now we're enduring a great struggle. So I say, wow, well, if the writer's using the same word, at least that word he seems to be using consistently with they're real Christians. The bigger one, I think, comes, kind of the argument goes next, and once have tasted the heavenly gift. See here, lots of smart people, you know, John MacArthur and others, you know, Dallas Theological Seminary say, see, they've only tasted of the gift, they haven't swallowed it. The problem is, if you search the word tasted, look at the Greek word used there, it's the exact same word used by the author of Hebrews to say Jesus tasted death for us. Wow. Well, he, didn't, he didn't just nibble on death for us. He didn't just snack on death for us. You know, he swallowed death up in victory, according to Corinthians, right? But the word tasted. So if Jesus tasted death for us, and he's using the same word to say, for those who have tasted of the heavenly gift, it's like, oh, it's all in. This is yeah. a real Christian we're talking about here. Does that make sense? Yeah, you definitely have 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 gotten the full thing. Yeah, and, and we can go through each one of those words. I won't belabor all of them to say, but if you trace the, the writer's use of those words in that text, he's clearly using words that say these are real Christians we're talking about. So I'm like, well, then where does that put us? Yeah, so, so that takes out number two. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm taking notes here and I'm crossing number two off my list. <laughs> if it's if it's real Christians and it seems to be consistent with the rest of Hebrews. Well, I'll give you a couple other hints from the text just on that, which is he gets down to verse six and he says, if they fall away. So he's almost contrasting the we and the they. So who's the they here? Um, well, it's not like he introduced a new category. So if you read through the first six chapters of Hebrews, it's not like, hey, I've been talking about apostates or I've been talking about this other category of people. He just says, if they, who's they? The one who've been enlightened, the ones who've been tasted, the ones who've been partakers. So if they, real Christians, fall away, it would be impossible to renew them. There's them, same group, for they crucify Christ open shame. So it's the same pronoun used to describe the group he's been talking about and importing kind of this hypothetical group or this apostates that have no one been mentioned before this or after this doesn't seem consistent with the text. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like... Well, Chad, you're not solving the problem. <laughs> right. Now that's it's like, okay. Now 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 they're real Christians and they can't get saved again. It's like, so you can lose your salvation. Now you're on the okay, so you can lose it. Yeah. Well, and if you can't lose it, then it also would say, and you can't get, you can't it, get back, it back, right? Yeah. And I don't know anyone who holds that view. And that's why there's this tension in here, because you have lots of Christians who fell away and came back. I'll give you a classic one is the apostle Peter. So Peter, all through the Gospels, you know, falls away, makes mistakes, comes back, you know, denies Christ three times. He has to re restore him in uh, John chapter 21. Well, then folks say, yeah, but that was prior to the death and resurrection um, when he did those denials. And so we're in a new covenant. Okay. Well, Jesus has to appear to him three times uh, in his resurrected body. The third time is in John chapter 21. He's still gone back to his old lifestyle. And then he preaches in Acts chapter 2, you know, amazing Pentecost sermon. Everybody comes to Christ. God's clearly using him. He's clearly a Christian. And then in Galatians chapter 2, Paul has to say, hey, um, 
Peter has left the reservation. He has become a racist. He's become a bigot. He has decided that because he's Jewish, he's better than the Gentiles. And Paul says he's become a hypocrite to the gospel. I mean, that's a strong statement. And he says, I had to confront him to his face and tell him he'd become a hypocrite to the gospel. He need to come back. Now, I think Peter was a Christian, but it, this is the strongest of terms of somebody who's turned away from the message. He's become a hypocrite of it. And Paul just says he wasn't not getting to heaven, but he needs serious correction. And there's another passage in 1 Corinthians that says, hey, you've got a, 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 a believer among you who's committing the kinds of sins that even the Gentiles don't commit. He's either sleeping with his mother or his mother-in-law. So deliver him over to Satan that his body might be destroyed, but his soul will be saved. So here's an implication from Paul saying, here's the worst sinner I can think of. We're the Greeks and Romans. That's a pretty high statement. And he might die physically, but we know his soul is saved because he's secure in grace. So that's why you get to that third view. And I'm like, well, the third view isn't consistent with people being able to come back, either practically or biblically in that regard. Well, if you want to follow before we get to the answers. <laughs> I was like, well, no, none of these views leave us secure. You're right. This leaves everybody in this state of, okay, I'm going to, it, it reminds me of when I talk to a, a Jehovah's Witness or to a Mormon where they're always constantly trying to work to earn their salvation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, again, why this is such an important issue to me is because it's about the gospel, which is, you know, you can know you're adopted. You can know you're in the family. You can know you, to as many as received him, you can know you're a child of God. Something powerful about, you know, Romans saying the Holy Spirit's in us. It bears witness in us. We know we're a child of God, which kind of gets us back. Now we got one last view to kind of critique before we get to the other view, which is, you know, this can't really happen. He's talking about a hypothetical. There's just nothing in the text to indicate that. There's many times the Bible does use hypotheticals and there's examples of it. Take the book of James, for example. James says, someone will say to you, show me your works without your grace. I'll show you grace without your works." So he says, someone will say, he gives you a hypothetical. Or, you know, Paul will say, in the letter you wrote to me, quote, it's not good for a man to touch a woman, but I say to you. So whenever there's a hypothetical, the scripture clearly says, I'm going to say, someone said, or this might be an argument. And then there's always a rebuttal. You just don't see that anywhere in this text in verses one to three or a rebuttal really coming in verses seven. So then I'll kind of get to my view, which is I think this says you are secure. And the full theme of the book of Hebrews is we've got immature Christians who are not growing spiritually. The way I word it is too many Christians then and today want to know what's the least I need to do to get into heaven. <laughs> and it's like, okay, and, and how far can I push this to make sure that I you know, get in, but I can live however I want. Well, that, that kind of thinking is foreign to the biblical narrative. The goal is not to get you to heaven. The goal is to get heaven into you. Now, yes, it's great that we get to go to heaven. Jesus came and died to get to heaven. But the goal is not just get you to heaven or he just kill you after you become a Christian. The goal is to have the kingdom of God, the heaven uh, sent kingdom of God live through you today. So what the writer of, of uh, Hebrews is saying is, hey, Christians, you've been very immature. In fact, if you look back at the previous verses, that's exactly what he says. Verses one and three, therefore, leaving the discussions of the elementary principles of Christ, he's talking to Christians, let's, let's get past the getting to heaven part and the just, you know, the basics of justification or salvation or adoption, and let's go on to perfection, which is another word for maturity. I want immature or inexperienced Christians to get mature, to move on, to propel yourself, to stop 
kind of looking at the ABCs and let's move on to the you know, DCEF you know, Zs kind of thing. And then he says, look at verse three there, or the same part of the verse says, not laying again. We don't t- need to lay something again. Well, you don't need to become a Christian again. You don't need to run down the altar again. Uh, instead of keep kind of visiting the question, am I really getting to heaven? Am I really a Christian? We need something else. So I think he then says, talking to immature Christians, hey, immature Christians, you don't need to get into heaven again. Instead, you need to realize you are a Christian and let's move on to the other stuff. So let me give you my reading of that. So it's impossible for those real Christians, you've been enlightened, you've tasted the heavenly gift, you've become partaker of the Holy Spirit. So it's impossible for real Christians if you fall away. And by the way, we do, meaning we fall out of love with God. You've, you've lost him as your first love. You're like Paul, you, Peter, you become a hypocrite to the gospel. You start thinking you're better than other people because you don't swear or you don't whatever. You pick some good aspect of the law and you think you're better than other people because you follow that aspect of the law. Remember, we all do that. So that's falling away from the gospel. And then when that self, either fear or that self-righteousness kinds to play out, it says, so if real Christians fall away, it'd be impossible to renew them. Notice the word again, The word again there is like, well, again, like it already happened once, must be a real Christian. It would be impossible for a real Christian when they fall away to renew themselves again to repentance. Why? Because they're already a Christian. You'd have to crucify Jesus all over again. So this whole premise there is Christians, when you fall away, don't need to become back and become a Christian again. You need to realize you are a Christian. You are secure. But then right after this passage, he says, instead, I want you to bear fruit. Verse 7. For the earth, which drinks in the rain. So what does that mean? You need to drink in the gospel. You you need to soak how you speak, how you act, how you interact. So the earth, which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it, it bears herbs. And this is the theme of the book of Hebrews. You need to bear fruit, bear herbs, grow, push on to perfection. Um, So you can be useful. (laughs) Right now, you're not being very useful. You know, you know, you're, you know, heavenly, uh, you know, earthly good. You know, you're going to heaven, but you know, earthly good. It goes on, by those for which it's cultivated, is God cultivating your heart as a Christian? Are you receiving the blessing from God? Are you receiving it? And again, we kind of jump into it. We're talking about a Christian again. No, we're not talking about a Christian again. We're talking about fully receiving the kingdom, letting the kingdom flow through you. But if it bears thorns and briars, okay, if you're not as a Christian bearing fruit, it is rejected and near to being cursed. As he says, it, not you. So it, your works meaning your works as a Christian, if they're not motivated by the gospel, you know, they're cursed and rejected. Now, here's where people get kind of strung up. Then it says, whose end is to be burned. Yeah. And, I think, and I think whenever people read the word fire or burned in the Bible, they kind of jump to lake of fire or steel fire, right? Yeah. But the Bible uses fire as often for Christians to describe the Bema seat of Christ or the judgment seat of Christ where Paul says, as Christians, Jesus took the punishment that gets you into heaven and out of, you know, a just punishment that would result in eternal separation from God. However, how you live out the kingdom, you will one day stand before God as a Christian, not at the great white throne judgment. That's for people who want a fair trial, but as a Christian at the reward banquet, and he will say, everything you've ever done will be tested by fire. Is it hay? Is it straw or is it gold and silver? So as a Christian, as you grow as a Christian, everything you've ever done will be um, 
tested by God and burned through what was done motivated by the gospel, what was done uh, out of motivation to please God, and what was done to please myself. And whatever remains, the silver and gold, God rewards you through, for it. That's very consistent here with the fire metaphor of your herbs or your fruitfulness as a Christian will be burned up if it's not been soaked into the gospel. Instead, it's been done out of self-righteousness or look at me or, you know, God owes me because I'm such a good Christian. You got to give me better circumstances. So that's kind of how all of that chapter holds together. There's still lots of practical you know, questions and obligations and, and you know, pushback. But that's what the text says when you read the actual verses in it. And again, humbly, there's people smarter than me come to different conclusions. But I would just say this one makes the most sense of the text and seems to follow the rules of hermeneutics um, consistent with the book and the actual paragraph. That is, and this is, this is why this is so powerful. This, you don't have to be insecure in your salvation. And it seems to me, based on this interpretation, you're saying that's exactly what he's saying. Stop being in, that's what's causing you to not grow is because you're still insecure. And so it's not that it couldn't really happen. It's, this isn't a hypothetical. It's not that you're not really a Christian tasted. These words mean it's, it's, it's true. And it's not that real Christians can lose it. It's that you are saved, therefore act like it. Yeah, and it goes against the other objection. So the, the major objection from kind of Christians is, wow, my goodness, if, if people knew they were always saved, once saved, always saved, you know, they would just go sin and do whatever they want. Okay, wow. well, that, that's Your a legitimate, works are going to be tried. That's a legitimate question, right? So it's like, how do we answer that? Well, first of all, the text answers it. You need to push on to maturity. He doesn't say, hey, and since you got it, uh, go live however you want. He says, because you got it, that should be the motivation. Like, how can I forgive my enemies? The only way I can forgive my enemies is to realize, wow, I was an enemy of God and he forgave me. I look into the gospel as a motivation to be forgiving. You want to know how to be patient with your you know, irritable spouse or your kind of crabby kids? You say, how patient has God been with me? You look into the gospel. You let it soak into your heart and say, it's not because my kid deserves it. It's not because my boss deserves it. It's not because my wife had a good day today. I'm going to be patient with my wife because I let soak in how God was so patient with me. Mm. So that's really why the gospel is not like how you get to heaven. It's actually the, the ABCs. It's actually a disease of how you grow as a Christian. You, you peer into your, your justification or your adoption or the work of Christ. And it becomes the motivation for every issue that you need to grow in as a Christian. And so as you think about that, you say, all right, the other problem is if the only thing keeping you from living for Jesus is the fear of hell, then I would say, well, that's a pretty lousy motivation. I mean, that's, that means the only reason you follow God is out of fear. And God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given a spirit of love. So that's inconsistent. So if you'd say the only reason I obey is because I'm scared, then I would say you don't know what it's like to be in a loving relationship. I mean, when, when, when you made your covenant with your wife and I made a covenant with my wife and as soon as she put the finger, the, the ring on my finger, I put the ring on her finger. Did I say to myself, oh, good, she's coveted with me. Now I'm going to go sleep around and, and go find the other, other women. No, because we coveted, that was the covenant of our marriage is I want to please you. Doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's always going to come naturally. But I want to please the one who coveted with me. And that's the motivation of the covenant God makes with us, his adoption with us, his uh, reconciling of us, or the word you used early on, which is the way he saved us. Wow. 
Hey, for those of you watching on social media, I, I need to let you go here in just a minute, but I hope this is incredibly encouraging to truly understand what this means. If you are saved, if you are saved, you cannot lose that. Let's go on to maturity. Now, Chad, this brings up the obvious question. Well, how do you know if you're really saved? Would you mind just sharing the uh, the simple plan of salvation, the gospel, sure. what the good news is, what gospel means, good news? Can you just share the good news? And then I'm going to have to let them go. But I just want to yeah. make sure they understand this. Yeah, because I don't know who's saved and who's not. The only only person who knows is the person in their relationship with God, right? I can maybe look at fruit, but it's really test and see if you're in the fold, the Bible says. And it's real easy. Um, whether you remember saying a prayer or not saying a prayer, it's not about the prayer. It's about the confidence in your heart. It's saying, I believe that I fall short of my standards, let alone God's standards. Number two, I believe that I need to be rescued or saved from my bad works that result in death. I also need to be saved from my good deeds because they are not good enough to fix the problem. As long as I'm my own savior, I don't need a savior. So I need to repent or change my thinking in regards to my good works and my bad works and then say, Christ, thank you for dying for me. I believe that and I receive that. So in four words, it's God loved you. He died on the cross for you. You were perishing to perish. But if you believe and you receive, you can become a Christian. And, and I could pray a prayer if, if you'd like for, for those who are watching and say, hey, I, I've heard a lot of religious talk, but I'm not sure I've ever done that. And today could be the day that you go, that's the day I express to God what changed in my heart. Can we do that? Yeah. Yeah, let's pray together. Just in your own heart, say, God, I, uh, I believe that I fall short of your standards and my own. And I believe that you died to take the punishment for me. And I receive the gift of your adoption and salvation in my heart. And I thank you that my relationship with you is based on your work, not my works, your grace in my life. Teach me not how to just get to heaven, but how to express heaven through my life. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Wow. Man, if that's you, I just want you to know there's, there's more. Yeah, there's more that that God has. He wants you to experience true freedom, freedom from the bondage of sin, freedom to love him the way he's created you to love him. Uh, if you want to learn more about this free gift of salvation, just go to creationtoday.org slash gift, creationtoday.org slash gift. If you want to be discipled and learn more, that's what we do here at Creation Today. Chad is a pastor of Horizon Community Church. They've got an incredible app with all their sermons, I encourage you to listen to the entire series on Hebrews. You can download his app, Horizon, and it's Community Church, so, but Horizon Space CC on the App Store. And I'm telling you, you'll you'll see so much great material. Uh, Chad, where would you encourage them to start if they want to download and start listening to your sermons online? Yeah, well, as soon as you pull up the Horizon Space CC on the App Store, um, it'll say the current messages. Uh, I do two different messages every week, one for people who are curious or skeptical, one for people who are uh, kind of convinced uh, verse by verse Bible teaching. So it'll give you last week's message, or you can click on past messages. It gives you lots and lots of series. But one of the things I'd encourage is there's another link on the opening page that says book by book. It literally gives you every book of the Bible and every series I've done on every book of the Bible. Um, so you say, hey, I'm trying to figure out something. So I'd say, Click on book by book, click on Hebrews, 
And you can just start right into that series, uh, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and really be encouraged that Jesus is, is bigger and better and more breathtaking than anything you've ever heard about in the Old Testament, which is what Hebrews is all about. Well, I'm going to go on with Chad and talk to him about what about those who say, well, I don't want to be a Christian anymore, mm. or those who say, I'm still trying to figure out if I really am. And then, okay, well, what's the final application to this? Okay, what do we do with this knowledge if we know once we're saved, we really are? How do we apply this? How does this help us apply that to our lives? If you want to join us for the rest of the conversation, come on over to creationtoday.org.